Hello everyone and welcome to Quanta Training's APMP podcast with, with Adam and Tim. That was a very jolly introduction. So uh, today, Tim, we're talking about procurement. We are. We are. So uh, quite a big topic. I, I guess, guess like a lot of these topics, it depends really on, on how much experience you've got in this particular area. If it's uh, an area you've worked in and you're quite familiar with some of this, it's probably fairly simple and basic stuff. If it's something you've never come across before, there's quite a lot here. Would that be a fair, fair summary? Yes. I guess that's like everything in life, though, isn't it? Yeah. Probably no need to say that. <laughs> that was quite if you point. know this, it's easy. Yeah. If you don't know it, it's... Um, it's like it's baking. Hard, like the way. Baking? Yeah. Or probably. Driving. Yeah. So, procurement. What is procurement, Tim? Well, really, it's just um, getting stuff into the project. Um, so, acquiring your resources... So, which can be very general, you know. So, um, people, um, machinery, raw materials. Um, one of the challenges of project capes. management is to make sure capes. Um, capes. <laughs> what, what was it I said cakes, but you okay. didn't say capes. Oh, sorry, that's some kind of superhero yeah. fancy dress party. Um, but one of the challenges of a project is getting the right resources in place at the right time. And so, in larger organisations, the procurement function may be carried out by. A separate individual so separate to the project manager sometimes there's an entire department um, but the project manager nevertheless needs to have a decent awareness of this mm. in smaller organizations the project manager has to do everything mm. um, and so as a consequence um, he or she would have to carry this uh, this process out but if this isn't um, executed properly then the project is almost certain to struggle mm. um, so to the many uh, sort of highlight examples in the media of uh, particularly sort of MO, MOD procurement gets severely uh, Attack, yeah, it? but, it, but it's like it's like anything. Like the, the the media are interested in public sector only. Really, they don't really report private sector failures. Very true. So I'm sure there are quite a lot of those as well that just aren't given the very same true, uh, yeah. the same coverage. Um, but we'll have a look at um, a few different elements of procurement here. So we'll have a look at the strategy. Um, we'll have a look at different ways of agreeing or, or different types of contracts that you may well have with uh, with a supplier. Different we'll ways of paying people. Yep. So fixed price, um, cost plus and the like. And also just the generic supplier selection process. Mm. So we'll begin with the process, I think. Okay. So, uh, yeah, well, where do we start? So, Well, usually there will be some initial research because you need to articulate what your need is. Mm. So this will be linked to the requirements management topic yeah. um, that was covered elsewhere. And maybe also looking out at what, what's sort of available in the market, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, so like just tempering um, what people say that they require with reality yeah with what's available yeah and there's usually a few options so uh, i think the example i often use on a course is if you want some project management training you need to make questions well do we want prints do we want apmp do we want it e-learning do we want it classroom based you know, there's a whole bunch of potential mm. options you've got there so you've done some research yeah and so um once you've um identified potential suppliers um it's then typical for some pre-qualification questionnaire to be drawn up and then sent to those uh, mm. suppliers. And in part, the intention of that really is to work out whether or not those intended suppliers have the capacity to fulfill the contract should it be awarded. Mm. And so there's typically um, a set of evaluation criteria that are set out and there will be some kind of marking guide then mm. um, that you can use then to judge all of these potential suppliers. It's usually quite basic stuff at this stage, isn't it? Such as, uh, you know, are they financially stable? Um, are they actually accredited or, or, or capable of delivering what we yeah. what we want? Um, so, so some fairly basic stuff just to sort of weed out anyone that isn't suitable. Yeah, 
And so um, once that weeding out has, uh, has occurred, um, invitations to tender then can be sent out from the remaining potential suppliers from the list. And this in itself can be quite an exhaustive process for the suppliers to do, so it can be yeah. quite time-consuming, can be um, can cost them quite a lot of money. And so as a consequence, and this is something which is consistent to the whole topic, there ought to be impartiality. It's all about fairness, really, and also legality. Mm. You can't be seen to favour one potential supplier over another. And so everybody knows what it is that you're going to be judging them on. And so once tenders then have been drawn up and then received back by the customer, there'll then be some kind of evaluation. So based upon the scoring, that evaluation criteria was mentioned earlier on, and then there'll be a winner. And those that have not... And a loser. Well, there, yeah, but, the, but the, those, those that have not won um, this time mm. um, ought to be told why. And sometimes uh, people, they just want to get onto your preferred supplier list in the first place. Mm. And they may well ha- know that it's very unlikely they will win this first time. And so sometimes um, potential suppliers think it's worth the investment in time and money for them to have a bit of an awareness about what your process is and how they'll be judged and what what's, um, that you'll be looking for. Um, and so the next time they'll um, submit another tender, it'll be better. Mm. And maybe that time or the time after, they may then win the work. So once the contract is awarded to um, the supplier, and that'll be based upon things you just alluded to earlier on, fixed price and the like, um, it's then that the contract will be managed. Um, and then at some point in the future, then it will be closed. Mm. And the closing of the contract could actually take place a little while after the project has closed because there may well be an element of retention money placed into the contract. So there's something to incentivize the supplier to return to the work and fix any snags if they are identified mm. um, after the project has closed. Yeah. Or there could be, if it in an IT system, there could be some element of support continuing after the project yeah so. yeah and that's that's, that's typical so with you know anything of uh, that ilk. okay so that sort of process so when we think about this strategy at the beginning what what sort of things do we need to put into the procurement strategy um well with the strategy first of all try to work out um is this something that you can make is it something that you can just buy off the shelf is it something that you're going to buy off the shelf and then potentially change yeah um, because that's going to have a big effect on your overall planning if it's something that you're going to intend to make yourselves you then be thinking well do we have the skills in-house or do we need to get people in to do that and you might choose to go for that option if you want something to be absolutely bespoke yeah because if you choose to buy something off the shelf you're sacrificing quality to a certain degree but you know that you're going to be reducing risk and that you think oh, i'm just going to buy something i'm going to place an order for it and yeah. we're going to receive it the next day, the next week, the next right, month. Right, no, but I, I, see, I mean, I think in certain circumstances, you're right, you could be sacrificed quality. In many others, you won't, of course. I mean, if I need a copy of, if I want a word processing document, probably nothing wrong with me going and purchasing Word oh, exactly, off the yeah, shelf. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, 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 but there is a, there's always an element of compromise if you're going to choose to buy yeah, something well, off the shelf. You're, you're buying whatever's available. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, there's a strong argument for that. You think, well, well if, this is, if this is something that, that's mature and has been around for years, then, you know, why bother trying to yeah. reinvent the wheel? And if it meets your requirements. Okay. Uh, what else do we need to think about? Well, think about the uh, the number of suppliers that you may be looking for. So there's an advantage of having a single supplier and that you think it reduces the lines of communication. Yeah. And the admin and the number of contracts. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why there are large service companies like Serco and the like um, that really pretty much can do anything. Um, that's one of the reasons they've gained favour over the last several years. But even if there is going to be a single supplier, then there's a fair chance there will be subcontracts that they'll be using. Yep. Um, so as well as that, so what, what are the other elements? Okay, uh, so yeah, how many suppliers do, do you require? Uh, what kind of relationship do you want with those suppliers? So I've worked with a number of organisations over the years and they have some sometimes quite structured levels of relationship with customers from uh, or suppliers from actually from adversarial where, where you really uh, 
you don't even want to speak to these people. If these people phone up, we don't deal with them. Right through to this idea of forming a joint venture with an organisation. So there's many examples out now where big companies get together and form conglomerates to to undertake uh, work on things like Crossrail and, and NHS IT projects, things like that. So what kind of relationship you want? And, and thinking about that is going to affect everything about how you pay these people, about how you communicate, what you can communicate uh, to them. So, yeah, say, is it, is it a transactional relationship? Is it a partnership? Is it an outsourcing deal? Uh, is it a joint venture with a, maybe an entirely different legal structure? Think about how you're actually going to work together and, and how that's going to affect every aspect of your relationship. Hmm. So also in the strategy, this should be um, heading for provider selection. So um, how are you going to be conducting your supplier selection process that we just talked about, really? And then also conditions and forms of contract. And so a condition could be something along the lines of the retention that I just mentioned before. It could also, yeah, so intellectual property rights. So if somebody's going to write something for you, then by default, they retain the intellectual property right of that. So ostensibly, they could resell that elsewhere, but you could place uh, conditions on that, mm. or you could buy the intellectual property rights off them. And then also, um, what's termed types of pricing or methods of reimbursement, this will be the, the contract type that we're going to have a look at now. How are you going to pay people, basically? Yeah. So what are some examples of those, Adam? Okay, well, uh, first one, we're, we're you, most people are quite familiar with, the fixed price contract, which is where uh, you agree a price up front with the supplier, and it will remain at that price regardless of yeah. sub- subsequent events. So it's it's great isn't it for the well in theory for both parties if they can if they're both happy with the figure certainly it's great for the customer you know what you're paying yeah because predictability yeah yeah potentially of course problems there for the supplier if their costs start to overrun because they're not actually going to be reimbursed anymore we've got target cost so it's literally what it says where you put in a the customer would specify a cost they would like the project to be delivered at or the goods or services uh, and that's the price the suppliers encouraged to, to aim for and that might be a company with some kind of incentive for them to to bring the project in that cost yeah because it's linked explicitly to um, to the share response in risk management and really contract is in itself a risk specialism because with fixed price there's more risk typically with the supplier mm. in that as you said um, if it does take them longer and cost them more they have to bear the cost of that uh, with target cost it's going to be shared to a certain degree between the customer and the supplier with maximum price there's a ceiling and that can be quite useful to the customer to say if the supplier says to you it's going to cost no more than 300 pounds because if you can then put that into your budget you think well i know that that's the most pessimistic estimate really mm. and should it cost less than that i would expect the money to be returned to me mm. so, so, so it might be uh things that you need kind of open book accounting where you're allowed to go and look at the suppliers which happens a lot in the public sector where you, where you, you know the MD can look at bae's um uh, costs for the project and determine whether or not they've actually paying good value or not yeah and the the relationship between the customer and the supplier shouldn't really be adversarial if it's going to work best um, and so as a consequence um the supplier may well want to have a long-term relationship with the customer and so there can be little for them to gain in the long run mm. if they don't return to you the surplus. Mm. Yeah, so sure. Although, you know, most contracts by the nature are kind of set up adversarially. Well, um, but I think if ever you need to invoke the contract, it's then that you know you're in trouble. I, I, I totally agree. Um, and totally that's, agree. That's, that's a totally thing with all these. What, one, one's look at the papers to, to see yeah. how many of these huge projects end up in dispute from Wembley a few years ago uh, onwards. Okay, okay uh, what else have we got? We've got cost plus. 
Yeah, maybe slightly more uncomfortable, I think, for the customer here. It's usually where there's some kind of unknown dimension to the work involved. So on cost plus or cost reimbursement, you're basically the supplier will undertake the work and then charge you for that work they've undertaken. So say from a, it's a bit like, I always think, taking your car in for an MOT. Uh, you ask for an MOT, you don't really know how much it's going to cost until they've actually fixed your car to get it through that. But what can they, you do? They, they can't they, quote they you up front. the MOT, is that it? The, the MOT, but the additional work to get it oh. through, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you need new windscreen wiper, if you need new brakes, whatever it might be, uh, they can't tell you that until they've actually done the work, how much it's cost. So you basically enter an agreement with the supplier that you will pay them what it costs them. So there's an element of, of trust required, but in some cases where you just do not understand the scope of the work involved, it's just what you've got to agree to. And it's also um, per unit quantity. And so as the name suggests, really, you may well have a contractor doing some work for you, like, say, an electrician. Um, and they would just have an agreement with you to say that um, I will charge you fifty pounds for every electrical socket that's fitted. Yeah, these courses. Are and so again, based on that, aren't they? Really? Yeah, absolutely. So again, it may be that you just you know we know we want some of these things. We're just not quite sure how many yet, but we know roughly what they should be costing out in the industry. Of course, it could be linked to some kind of uh, uh, sort of quantity um, discount. So we'll agree that it's this much per unit. But if we order this many perhaps that price will decrease. So one more? Yeah, it's also mixed terms, which basically is just a combination of any of the ones that we talked about before. Yes. So okay. so in purposes of the exam, uh, you would actually need to come up with two that work together. So uh, you, you can have um, a target and maximum sometimes go together. So bring it in at this, but you know, no more than this. Mm. It may well be you have a cost per per unit, but that, that cost is fixed. So it, it, it won't go up and so on so you need to come up with a, a, an example that works there but it's almost a free one isn't it mixed terms if you can't yeah. remember a fifth for the exam you say, oh a combination of the above yeah and uh, and just related to this um, there's also when you would be paying your supplier so having some kind of stage or milestone payments yeah so something which is alluded to in the budgeting and cost control topic because it's not in the interest of the customer for the supplier to have cash flow problems um, and so recompensing the supplier at various points in the project based upon work done rather than necessarily just a predictable time frequency of paying them every week or every two weeks. So you make sure that they're following your um, your schedule, really. Okay. So the last point here is types of contract that are available. You know, it might feel at this stage there's just a lot more information coming your way to remember, but I don't think that hard. The first one is uh, one contract. Um, so not too bad to remember. What so be the second? Uh, there'll be two, but uh, and you can <laughs> you have those. Get yourself a cup of tea now. This is going to go on for a while. You can have these two contracts, <laughs> um, maybe or two or more, of course, uh, in some kind of sequence. So again, if we're if we're building a some kind of uh, if there's some kind of construction project, we could have a separate contract for the architect. That we do a separate contract with the groundworks and a separate contract with the building of the property, and maybe even separate contracts for fitting out of that property, the decorating and so on. Uh, so the, these could be sequentially uh, run contracts. You can have parallel contracts as well. So um, again, if I take uh, our business as an example, quite often we will find ourselves supplying training to an organization, but they'll have other providers as well. So it may be these uh, people specialize in different areas. It may be the customer's simply spreading risks. So if one organization turns out to not be providing the quality required or can't cope with the capacity, they can revert for work to the other party. So one type of contract, uh, one comprehensive contract, which we talked about the pros and cons earlier, two or more contracts, which could be sequential or in parallel. 
And then, of course, something most people are familiar with, subcontractors. Not everyone, of course, can undertake uh, all work. We're all experts in certain areas. So it may well be that a major contractor has to subcontract part of that work out to someone more specialist. Lots of questions around that, really. Are you allowed access to the subcontractor as a customer? Are you able to speak to them? It may be the contract uh, indicates that only the uh, primary contractor can talk to the subcontractors. That, in a way, can be beneficial because you don't have to deal with any problems down there. So less points of contact, less trouble for you to deal with. But it, you might feel a bit uncomfortable that you can't actually speak directly yeah. to some Intr- of the Intrusive people. Intrusive risk, really. You could think if, if you don't really know what the capacity is of the subcontractors to fulfil the contract. Mm. You, and you, you're working on the assumption that the main contractor is protecting their reputation by only choosing um, adequate subcontractors, but you don't have the surety that you might wish mm. for. So, yes, yeah, so it can be something that can cause a problem. Um, and then we, we move to this other type of contract, really more, more common these days, this idea of a sort of some kind of partnership agreement, where, say, you're moving away from these adversarial type of contracts, which are full of clauses like, if you do this, I will do this to you. I will smite uh, the... Yes. So it's more about cooperating, collaborating together. Yeah, it's, it's, the it's, it's linked to, to the collaborative negotiation type we're trying to get. Yeah. Win-win. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, certainly where organisations are working very closely together to, to achieve similar aims. And the idea here is you might share pain and gain. So, again, we're referring back to the sort of risk topic here and so on, uh, sharing information uh, together and uh, what have you. And then the last one, and what have you that's turnkey yeah so this is something that yeah don't write and what have you <laughs> in the exam etc so with turnkey you see this in um, in construction most typically where the supplier manages the project during its life so we'll supply the project manager and then hands everything back to the customer so the metaphorical set of keys at the end of the project and um, mm. so as long as it's been delivered up to you could also the be a physical standards. set of keys I guess in construction be. Yeah, could, yeah, but yeah. that's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you do everything. I don't want to hear from you again until I can turn the key mm. in my door. Well, yeah. It must be big, like big, big keys kind of made out of a polystyrene. Yeah, I do as well. So yeah, so that's that's something that uh, that you see in construction so from time well, to time. One, it's similar to the one comprehensive contract, but, but but with some quite specific clauses in usually and only used in construction. Okay, I think well, that good. is uh, that was procurement. So thanks, Tim. Okay, thank see you, you next time. Bye bye.